welcome to season four of Books, Rods, and Booze. Woohoo! Yay! So this season, we actually have a theme. We're going to be doing books to movie. Woohoo! Very excited about that. Yeah. And uh, we decided to go ahead and finish up the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So today's discussion is going to be The Two Towers. Book and movie. Book and movie. I think it's funny because I, of course, love The Lord of the Rings. And I was taking notes while I was reading the book. And I was taking notes while I watched the movie. And I was really proud of myself. And I was getting ready for the podcast tonight. And like reading through my book, through my notes is like experiencing a fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of the guy who's talking about how he had that. 50 page uh, essay on the color blue when he took LSD and you're like none of it is, is, yeah no yeah. this isn't working that's exactly how it is <laughs> I was like wow <laughs> so I have some questions from lit lovers the first question is Argon says to Gimli we must guess the riddles if we are to choose our course rightly how does choosing the right course of action in the Lord of the Rings and in life depend on guessing riddles correctly? That is a very hard question. I know, isn't it? I was like, wow, that's yeah, deep. It really is. I mean, definitely there was lots of focus on choice. And, you know, since Gandalf, you know, fell, he wasn't. They didn't really have a leader. They no, they were no. trying to use the information as it came up, and that's how they would decide to do things. So maybe that's what it's saying. Like life, you don't really know what's going to happen, so you kind of have to just take what where you're at and make the best guess you can. <laughs> oh, so like a quick recap, the Gandalf was just disappeared down the giant hole. Uh, everyone's sort of like, we don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And we have to, you know, we have to decide what we want to do. And uh, they pretty much look at Frodo and say, you get to make the choice since you're the ring bearer. And Frodo's like, all moody. And like, mm -hmm. I don't know which way I should think. And he goes out. And then um, the fellowship breaks apart. Yes. So. And that's, that's, that's where it starts, starts, is the breaking of the, the breaking fellowship. of the fellowship. Yeah. So it, it is a lot about choice at the very beginning. It's like, do we go ahead and go here? Do we go there? Do I do this? And, you know. Yeah, Boromir wants Aragorn, they want, he wants to go to Minas Tirith first. Right. And, you know, Aragorn's like, oh, I don't know if that's the right thing to do because that takes us too close to Isengard. And, um, yeah, so they're definitely having a hard time deciding what to do. And then uh, Ormadir sort of forces Frodo's hand, and he was like, you know what? That kind of worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's kind of true to life, too. Like, sometimes no matter what plans you make, the unexpected happens, and you, you end up taking a totally different path than what you thought you would. But, yeah, I thought I liked... I liked the scene with Boromir while he was corrupted by the ring and his redemption, you know. Right. He 
And he was 100% honest about what he did to Aragon. He was like, listen, I kind of, like, threw myself at Frodo, and he left because of me. Sorry about that. Yeah. (laughs) It was, that was super powerful. Big scene. It's, and I think just, I know we're not really into the movie part of it yet, but I think they make Bormir a little bit more of a villain in the movie than they do in the books. I thought so, too. Yeah, yeah, like just the gleam in his eye and mm-hmm. everything, that movie magic, I felt like, yeah, that wasn't really portrayed in the book the same way. Yeah. yeah. So, question two. Do we walk in legends or on the green earth in the daylight? MRS. How would you explain Argon's response? A man, Aragorn? Sorry. Aragorn. <laughs> a man may do both. You're a chemist, so it's like Argon gas. <laughs> Like, oh, blah, blah, blah. oh, that is a super fantastic question, and I love, I love it because when he meets, when they, when Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, when they meet Rohan, when they meet Eomir and the and the writers, and they're telling their story, and they're talking about hobbits, and they're talking about you know they went to Lothlorien, and and I think I even wrote down. Um, what they said, if I could find it in my crazy notes, and it's just something like, um, you know, is this this fairy tale come to life? Like, what does this story even make any sense? Like, it's like all of our tales we used to tell our children are like happening now. Right. Like we're we're the rhyme. Like you remember that in the rhyme? Like yeah, that's us. <laughs> yeah. So that was really cool. It's almost like um, their reality his reality was changed by these stories because he, he obviously knows it's true. He sees a hobbit right in front of him. And to him, that was just a myth or a legend. Right. Oh, which at towards the end of this book is one of my favorite bits about that with Sam. So mm. I don't know if that's part of the questions because I can't remember them, but we'll talk about it anyway. Yes. Okay. Mary and Pippin look back out of the shadows of Fang- Fangorn. Little... Fugitive fixture figures in the dim light looked like elf children in the deeps of time peering out of the wild wood in wonder at their first dawn. How do the initial innocence and lasting hopefulness of the hobbits provide a balance to the more complex experience of men, the elves, ancient knowledge, Gandalf's wisdom, and Sauron's evil? Wow, that's a big question. I mean, like, it is, and you can see it, like, there's... There's, like, this sort of dichotomy of, like, the the hobbits and their innocence and the sweetness of the story. I'm like, oh, look, new stuff. Elves, cool. Look, we got these cool clothes. And, like, this evilness happening in the story. And all the, you know, the wisdom and the plotting and the planning and the worrying. And it seems like the hobbits are a little bit more... Um, you know, they just focus on what's important and that's how they know what the right thing to do is. You know, you protect your friends. You stay you stay together. Um, nothing can really dampen their spirits, especially Pippin. <laughs> I love Pippin. I know. Yeah, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a shout out to simplifying, I think. Oh, yes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Treebeer says of Saruman, he has a mind of metal and wheels. He does not care for growing things. 
How does Tolkien illustrate the limitations and minutes of technology and the benevolence and rewards of growing things? Oh, huge theme in the book. And you can really see it in the movies, how bleak and, you know, just Dark black. And no and, plants and mm -hmm. it's just gross, yeah. industrial, like, uh, factory feel to it. Exactly. And then you've got everything wholesome is what grows. Right. And, I mean, I think the book and the movie both do a great job of showing the difference between those two and where evil has been it corrupts the land you know blackens it things won't grow there um so yeah it definitely does show growing things nature good <laughs> burning you know just chopping down wood just for the fact of doing it and not using it too like uh -huh. that's a whole nother another thing also it's it's all about um I mean that. I mean, it's not even about balance. It's really about technology bad, bad <laughs> nature good. <laughs> yeah. So, Monica, uh, as a quick aside, mm. the beverage you chose for us today. Tell us about it. Yes, it's um, our local winery, Round Barn, has these. I don't even know what to call it. It's kind of like a, it's like a cream liqueur, and it's car salted caramel flavor, and it's almost like drinking chocolate milk but salted caramel flavor it's really oh, it's quite good so good yeah it's so good i feel like i could suck down the whole bottle i'm like mm, i gotta pace myself on this excellent this dessert good. drink very very mm -hmm. highly recommend so next question good and ill have not changed since yesteryear says aragon nor are they the only among the elves and the dwarves and another among men why does the struggle between good and evil continue much the same from age to age and place to place and one group to another? Oh, I mean, much the same as it has gone on in our world, even up to this age. Right. You know, history um, repeats itself over and over. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, is we just live in a world of um, not even opposites. It's like polarities, you know, and everybody falls into a different level on that spectrum and maybe they change where they are you know at different points in time in, in their life what i do like about the lord of the rings is yes you do have some blatantly evil characters and you have some really good characters and i think there has been some people who have said oh it's like just all black and white you know good against evil but it's really not there are a lot of characters that um you know that yeah, may, mixed feelings. Yeah, about. they may not be the nicest people, but they're definitely one of the good guys. <laughs> you know, like Denethor is the one that comes to my mind. He's he's another one that's portrayed a little more evilly in the movies than he is actually in the books. But, um, but yeah, I mean this this good and evil is a constant struggle and always will be, especially because depending on what your perspective is, <laughs> you you may see yourself as the good guy. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> and, you don't, and you're not. And a huge part of the book, too, was um, the Fellowship wanting to get rid of Gollum. And Gandalf was like, no, leave him be. He, he still has a purpose. And right. even then, you know, 
it was just Frodo and Sam, and they're and Sam's like, take him out, stab him. I'm gonna just, you know, like, did you see him? He choked me, like, dude. <laughs> right. Let's get rid of him. And Frodo's like, no. Well, he remembers what Gandalf says about, um, you know, some some who live deserve death, and some who die deserved life. Can you give it to them? And don't be so quick to dole out death and judgment. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's huge, huge quote from the book and the movie. And, um, you know, a really good lesson up until today. People still <laughs> need to learn that lesson. <laughs> we haven't, we haven't learned much. No. <laughs> it, it's, it's a personal struggle too. Mm. Uh, so, uh, if a wizard as wise and powerful as Saruman can be corrupted, what chance does anyone have against the forces of evil? How are Gandalf, Aragorn, Frodo, and the others able to withstand the temptations and desire to which Saruman, Gollum, Wormtongue, and others has succumbed? Oh, that's awesome. These are really big questions. Yeah. I was like, I didn't realize it was so philosophical. Yeah. I mean, with Saruman, it often makes me think of... Um, Harry Potter and how the defense against the dark arts teacher. Like, I don't know. Like sometimes when you study all those like mean and terrible things, you kind of get like, caught oh, up in them. Oh, this isn't really so bad. I mean, like, yeah, I get it. Because <laughs> he was an expert on the rings of power and, and it was seduced by, by the lure of that power. And almost like what Gandalf said when he refused the ring was it's like, I would use this with an intention to do good. Mm -hmm. But then through me, you know, all of these horrible things would happen. And I think with Saruman just being, well, and also he used the Palantir, um, the seeing stone, and also was, like, literally corrupted by right, right. Sauron. So right. he had a lot working against him. Yeah, Wurntung was, like, uh... Like a seedy side character that you can see in a lot of other stories where he's like whispering and sort of weakening the king over a period of time and sneaking him in like, oh, trust me, don't it's trust the others. like he twists the truth. It's yeah. like what he says, you can't really say he's lying, but he says things in such a way that are like really, like you said, seedy and sneaky oh uh, yeah he was just he was so slimy and gross i was like ugh, ugh. i'm like just chop his head off already <laughs> i'm like oh why are we still talking about worm tongue <laughs> what does treebeard mean when he says that songs like trees bear fruit only in their own time in their own way to what extent might this be true of people in the lord of the rings well, I mean, to me, when I think of Treebeard and, you know, bearing fruit and songs, I mean, the Ents were not hasty. No. <laughs> no. I, I think pretty much what he's saying there is, you know, to take your time and not rush into things and, what you know, fools rush in kind of thing. The Ents were my favorite thing about this book. So, like, yeah. I call the Two Towers the middle child of the trilogy. Yeah. And they, they're they not really featured in any other part of the book. 
And I love them. I love them as characters. I love what they have to say. I love how they interact with Mary and Pippin. Yes. I think they're just fantastic. I do too. The ends were great. And I wish there was more of them in the movie. I was very yeah. disappointed. I was like, oh, this is all that we get? <laughs> yeah. And where are the Ent wives? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, this is a good one too. Often does hatred hurt itself, says Gandalf. How might this be true of hatred and evil in the novel and in life? Oh, well, you know, just like with Sauron and his big war plan. And he, it never even enters into his mind that somebody would take the ring with the intention of destroying it. Because, you know, in his mind, you 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 use it. it. You dominate others, like all of his plans and all of his actions and... His hastiness in going to war is thinking that somebody that somebody's somebody going to use the ring against it. him. Uh-huh. So in that way, because he can't see the good in people, he can only see the evil, he does pretty much defeat himself. Yeah. So the next question uh, deals with pedigrees of the families and histories in the book. Is that anything that you you have any comments on? Well, I really like, and I have it on my phone, but I didn't bring my phone with me. But I really like how Elrond, half-elven, he's fascinating to me. And I, I actually looked up his lineage because I'm a big reader of the Silmarillion. I've been through it a few times. Still need to read it a bunch more times before... <laughs> I, yeah, but he is like loosely related to Baron and Luthien um, through Luthien's side. So that was the first story of an elf and a human who fell in love. It's kind of like loosely what Aragorn's relationship with Arwen is. And so I was always fascinated by Elrond. And, and I... I love that Gladriel is um, Arwen's grandmother. And because Gladriel is one of my favorite characters because she is so old. Like, other than possibly um, Glorfindel, she's probably the oldest elf in The Lord of the Rings, if I'm not mistaken. She's, like, really old. Very cool. (laughs) So, yeah, I love all that stuff. It's really confusing. Like, I would need to make way more detailed notes. Right, right. Okay. When Sam speaks about the old tales and songs, what does he say characterizes the tales and songs that really matter? How does he distinguish between the best tales to hear and the best tales to get landed in? I do remember that. I did not write down the specific quote. I was being lazy and I wrote down like a page number and a chapter number and then I didn't bring the book with me. But (laughs) basically what he's talking about is the people who were in those stories that they had heard about, the best ones, um, they didn't realize what they were getting themselves into when they started it. But just as they went along, they they chose not to give up, basically, was what the moral of that story is and our last discussion question and then we'll just go into general talk yeah in what ways are Faramir and Gandalf alike 
How is Sam's observation that Faramir reminds him of Gandalf supported by Faramir's actions and statements? Well, Faramir is really into lore uh-huh. and, and studying history. And although he is a soldier and he he's, doesn't like to fight for fighting's sake, but he'll fight for his country and his family and his people and things like that. It's more his temperament, I think, how he's like Gandalf. Yeah. Yeah. So that was those were all discussion questions from the publisher. Mm. And those were really deep questions. They were. My goodness. And they don't really give anything away from the story, too. So that's kind of fun. So now we can talk yeah. about like details yeah. in the movie. There was a few things that um that really stood out to me in the movie that blatantly did not happen. And the first one I want to talk about is something that I love from the movie that did not happen in the book. And that is the elves coming to Helm's Deep. Mm. So in the book, the elves do not come to Helm's Deep. But the reason that I like this is the elves really were fighting evil in their own lands. Right, right. In Lothlorien, which is where the elves in the movie came from, you know, they were fighting evil on their borders and they were fighting their own wars. So it was a kind of a cool way... To show that the elves were also fighting, you know. They had skin in the game too. Right. So it it wasn't true to the story, but I feel like it fit with the tone of the story. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it took anything away from the story. It definitely fit the narrative. Right. They didn't need to kill Haldir though, my God. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Was there anything that stood out for you that was blatantly different from the book and the movie that you noticed? I I felt like it did a really good job um, with, like, tone and setting. And, like, there were some things that I, I missed. And I was like, oh, um, it, it didn't put this in here. And you don't understand why they're doing all this. And that's kind of sad. But I was, I wasn't, I didn't really... Noticed too many changes. I I noticed more missions, and I was like, "But it's already three hours long." <laughs> there, yeah, really. I I mean, I would if it was like a week long, I would probably watch it. Um, there was another scene that was one of my favorites in the movie, and it's when they're before the Black Gate and Sam falls, and Frodo has to run down the hill to kind of save him. And he ends up throwing his elven cloak over them because Sam's buried in the rocks. And basically the the soldier is like like standing at the foot of that rock and can't tell that they're there. there right. And that didn't happen in the book. But there were lots of little instances throughout the book where the elven cloaks kept them hidden. Um, so I thought that was really a cool, that was like one of my favorite scenes. Um, and then I have two scenes that were in the movie that I'm sad were in the movie because um, one of them is, big part of Two Towers movie is this whole, you know, Frodo is, the ring's getting heavier and he's kind of snapping at Sam and feeling like Sam is being too mean to Gollum and, right, right. and that sort of thing. And um, that really wasn't in the book. There really wasn't that animosity and Sam never, you know, like when they accused Sam of like eating all the 
Snack elven bars. bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they send Sam away. Like, that doesn't no. happen in the book. No. And I hated that part of the movie. Yes. Like, hated it. Yeah. And the other part that I hated was when they send Aragorn off the cliff. Oh. That didn't happen in the book either. No. <laughs> and I and I don't feel like that really added anything to the story. Um, yeah. Didn't care, didn't care for that. No. I agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that also made me angry. Yeah. So, um, in the book, when they're in the tunnels and Gollum, he's kept his promise. He didn't hurt Master. Mm-hmm. She's going to eat him. And he gets to take care of the nasty one. Cracks me up. I mean, like, I totally see it. And, like, Sam's like, oh. And then, you know, Frodo's laying there all, like, frozen. And then Sam has that sense of duty. And he takes chain and puts it and like falls down and can't get up yeah. it's so heavy it's like he's dragging himself off off the ground but he's still gonna go ahead and go forward with it they do a good job showing the weight of that responsibility even from the first movie when bilbo drops the ring before he leaves and it hits the ground with a thud like they do a really good job showing the weight of that carrying that malice around yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh, wow, that's really yeah. cool. <laughs> the whole Smeagol Gollum thing I love, too, because it reminds me of all of this, um, you know, this new age, like, parts work and, you know, <laughs> working on your inner child. And uh-huh. and it's he's definitely got these this total split personality, and it's... Talking to himself. It's so Smeagol visible says. in the movie. <laughs> you can see the facial expressions and everything. It's great. It's like... <laughs> It's like my inner demon, like, have another glass of wine. (laughs) No, you should probably go to bed. (laughs) Oh, That's hilarious. Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts about the movie or the book that you want to talk about? Oh, you know, nothing that I can really do justice for. I really got to thinking about it. And as I was looking through this haphazard of my notes it's it's such an immense book and the movies too in such a short time really we we can't really go into it much other than just an overview and I'm sure most people who are listening have watched the movies at least or you know read the books a while ago and so it's just kind of a fun um getting getting you to know them again, maybe pique your interest into watching the movies or reading the books again. I, I read them every, I try to read them every year. Some years I don't, but, um, I, they, I just get something out of them every time. (laughs) They are a lot of fun. Yeah. And and after reading the discussion questions, they're like, oh yeah, there are a lot of themes in here. Oh wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So, I I love how much Sam and Frodo talk about how they're part of the songs. They're part of the rhyme. And, you know, like, oh, we saw the, the broken sword and we saw it get back together. Snap. Like, <laughs> that's us. Yeah. Like, we just made history. <laughs> right. And then um, when they're on the, on the mountain and the soldiers at the end of the two towers and uh, Sam sees that that animal, I can't think of what it's called. The olifant. Yes, the olifant. He's like, I saw one, they're real. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's so cute. Yeah. I just love that. That's like 
that's just an adorable part of the story that I just love so much. Yeah, and actually I'm looking at a really intense quote from that scene when he sees it, when one of the soldiers from Harad was killed. And Faramir says it in the movie, but Sam thinks it in the book. And he wonders um, what's the man's what the man's name was and where he came from and if he was really evil at heart or what lies or threats had led him on this long march from his home and if he would not really rather have stayed there in peace mm -hmm. and I feel like that is a huge huge lesson for all of us in this world like Sam puts to thought you know this is our enemy but this is a man this is just the person like he really puts himself into the other person's shoes. And I think that if more people could do that, we would have a lot less conflict. <laughs> right. The, the whole, it's hard to hate up close. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. When you bring it personal. That was a really good, good part. Yeah. They gave it to Faramir, which is fine. I like Faramir too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. When, when I was in middle school and I first read this, I didn't quite understand what the two towers were. And then when I read it again in my 20s, I'm like, oh, the dark tower and the white tower. Because I was just like, I don't get it. Like, yeah. they're not they're not good. Both of them are kind of ugh. Right. <laughs> yeah. And evil doesn't share power. No. <laughs> Which is why they're the, the middle child. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny that you say it's the middle child of the trilogy because I... So this is, like, for me, picking between, like, diamonds and rubies and emeralds. Like, the two towers is my least favorite of the three. But my least favorite of the three is, like, still my favorite a million times above and beyond anything else. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> but if I had to rank them, that one would be my least favorite. It's just, it's pretty dark. And they're alone, you know? Yeah. And I like to read about the elves. <laughs> it, it's scary, and... The whole time, Frodo and Sam think Gandalf is still dead. Mm -hmm. um, the Boromir dies. Yeah. Um, Aragorn and the that part, they don't know what happened to Merry and Pippin. They mm -hmm. don't know what happened to Frodo and Sam. It's a huge unknown for everyone. They're all very tense and worried. Right. Yes. And, the, and it really comes across. And yeah, it definitely has... Uh, not a lot of bright moments. No. The only ones having a good time are Mary and Pippin. <laughs> right? After they get away from the orcs. Right, right. After, <laughs> after they're almost, you know, killed after they're kidnapped from the orcs. And they're like, oh no, we must go after our friends. And they're like, well, we don't know what really happened to them. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we picked this book, though. It was a lot of fun to talk about. It was. Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening. Yes. And we will see you next month for the final installment. <laughs> Return of the King. My my favorite. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye-bye.